Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, "Mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz, it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amwar a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amwar.style forward slash crystal. That is amwar.style A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoire today. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than the episodes that Jesse and I usually do because we have such a big topic to tackle that we're going to devote the entire episode to your burning questions about raising teenagers. And I was inspired to tackle this topic because recently on Instagram, I'm the money saving mom on Instagram, someone wrote in and they said, Crystal, I wish you would talk more about raising teenagers. She said, I talk so often about our little ones and I show their pictures and I talk about things we're doing with them. And she said, I mean, you have three older kids. Silas is almost a teenager. So we have 17, almost 15 and almost 13. And she said, I just love to hear what you're learning and what it's like. And, you know, I have struggled and kind of wrestled with how do I share honestly but also protect 
our kids' privacy. And Jesse, we've had lots of conversations as to what this looks like. And one of the big things is we always, always ask the kids if they're going Mm -hmm. to, if I'm going to be sharing something about them, if I'm going to be showing a picture of them, always asking their permission. And I try to take it even a step further though, because I think, you know, they're 17, almost 15, almost 13. And there's a lot that maybe they wouldn't take into consideration with the simple picture online. And so I try to think through, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, I think of like a someone's thinking to hire them and they Google their name, like what is going to come up? There's just a lot of things that I think of the ramifications of what is put on the internet. And then the other thing is that, you know, my kids didn't sign up to have their life broadcasted on the internet. And so I just want to protect their privacy. And I always want to be careful that, you know, this so much of this is their story and their future. And Um, stuff that we're still learning and still living and growing in. And so that's why there's not as much on my Instagram about my teenagers. But we do want to talk about this. It is a huge part of our life. And so one thing that I did is I ask on Instagram, I put up a question box and I ask for people to just ask their questions. What would they like us to talk about? And so in this episode, Jesse and I are just going to tackle some of those questions. And I feel like, especially on the podcast, we were just talking about this. It's a little bit more of an intimate space. Also, it's not in written form. And so we just feel like we can share just a little bit more than maybe I would feel comfortable sharing with the public at large in a way that can be searchable Mm -hmm. forever online. But again, always protecting our kids' privacy and stories. So there are a lot of questions, Jesse. I hope you're ready for this. And I have no clue what these questions are. So it could be right right out of left field. I have no clue. Uh, You know, I just like to keep you on your toes. Yes, you do. The first question is, how do you decide when to push your kids versus letting them fail? And this is something that I've talked about a lot. We really want to raise independent adults. Mm -hmm. And in everything that we do and how we approach life, we try to have that vision for the future. We're raising adults, not dependent children. So how do we help our kids become independent? And I think as much as is possible, we try to remove their reliance upon us, especially as they get older. And that might sound, I know for some people that sounds almost like terrible parenting, but you know, I think Catherine, she's 17, almost 17 and a half. She's about to be an adult. And so for the last few years, we've really tried to kind of slowly reel back our guidance in a sense and allow her to step out and make decisions. And, you know, in some of those cases, the decisions, there were negative consequences and, but we're there as that safety net. And so allowing our kids to fail in small ways now, when it's kind of in the safe space to prevent them from larger failures, hopefully in the future. Yeah. And I don't, 
I don't think that it's an either or, either push them or let them fail. I think it's all under the guise of intentional parenting because you can push your child and yet let them fail at the same time. You're just being intentional and, like you said, having them fail in a safe space. It it got me thinking about uh, this past week, Silas had a baseball game and there were some things that happened and uh, he was upset with himself. And I told him, I said, you know what, if, if you're always successful in what you're doing, you're not going to learn a lesson. Lessons come from failure and making mistakes. If you were perfect in everything that you did, you wouldn't have the op- opportunity to, to make those and learn those lessons and make the corrections that you need to make that make you stronger. So honestly, I don't think it's, they're mutually exclusive. I think that, that you can do both really. Well, and I think I remember a quote that you said on the podcast, struggle builds strength. I think that's really wise. Um, I feel like every child is different. And so you really have to seek the Lord, seek God's guidance, seek the Holy Spirit's direction, and just take one step at a time. And so if there is danger involved, mm-hmm. you know, if if our child's life is in danger, if there's something that we just feel a really strong red flag about something, that's going to be when we're going to step in. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to say no. But as much as is possible, we try to say yes, and we try to keep our no's to a minimum so that when we do say no, like they're asking to do something and we say no, that not only do we give them a good reason, and it's not just no because I said so, but it's no because X, Y, and Z, but also they respect the no because we usually try to say yes, or if we can't completely say yes, we try to come up with a compromise, you know, no, no, but yes. And so I think it's, it's this fine line of figuring out, especially as they get older, some kids more quickly, you can kind of push them out, Mm -hmm. let them, you know, really be independent. I think Catherine at this point, she is very independent, but we always tell her, You've earned our trust, but if you do something to break that trust, that's when we would set up more boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're getting off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I feel like this addresses so many of the questions that came in. And so I think there's been situations where we've really pushed a child. I think of, I talk about this in Love Centered Parenting, putting Catherine into a traditional school setting after we'd homeschooled for six years. And that was really pushing her outside her comfort zone. And she was very scared, upset, angry at us for making that decision. And that was very hard for us as parents. Like, are we completely missing the mark here? Is this something that in five years from now, we're going to look back and be like, that was a terrible decision. (laughs) And that really negatively affected her. But just lots of prayer and lots of seeking the Lord and just asking for direction for the next step. And we look back and see how it was the best thing for her. And it turned out to just change her life, as I talk about in Love Center Parenting, in really profound ways. So that was a big push. But I think there's other times when a child might be in a space where 
a gentle nudge. You know, they mm-hmm. just like, like, so just knowing when sometimes you literally have to, I feel like push them outside the nest, <laughs> like an eagle, isn't it? Like they just like push the mm-hmm. babies yeah. out. And then I think it's that they push the babies out and then they like come down and like they'll swoop underneath and catch them if, you know, as they're teaching them how to fly. And so I feel like there's a lot of that that we're trying to do. But I think sometimes some kids just need, you just are gently nudging them to even get to the edge of the nest to look out over. And that's a big step. And we celebrate that and we take baby steps. Right. I think that there is a, um, well, let me back up. You as a parent know and can see what the results of certain decisions are going to be. And I think that if the failure is going to be catastrophic to them, you can step in and provide some some safety net cushion. But I keep thinking back of you know my experience with various young clients and when you were an attorney, when I was an attorney uh, in my criminal defense practice, that there's a fine line between helping and enabling, and it's so important that you don't stand in the way of lessons that need to be learned because you will hurt the child in the long run. If they need to learn a lesson and it needs to hurt, you need to stand back because they won't learn it otherwise. If you always jump in and try to keep them from getting hurt or learning, they're never going to learn those lessons. And sometimes those lessons hurt really bad and will sting for a while, but they'll thank you in the end. And they'll remember it. Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, some of the lessons that I've had to learn in the hardest way that have stung really badly are the lessons that I never forget. Mm-hmm. And so some sometimes one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is the gift of failure and allowing them to fail so that they learn it on a small scale to prevent mm-hmm. the massive catastrophic failure when they're no longer in your nest. Right. Okay, this question. At what age did they get a first job for real money and how to help them do that? Catherine, I think, was 15 and Caitlin was 14. Mm -hmm. And Silas has had different online things. He's done eBay. He's currently working on building up his YouTube channel. He has kind of big dreams and hopes for monetizing that Um, and is being really strategic and that's cool to watch. And he is itching (laughs) <laughs> to get his first job. He's like, why do people not hire anybody at 12 years old? So yeah, I think Caitlin was really wanting to get a job. She took the bull she, by the horns on her own. I mean, soon she, as she found, turned 14. She found job or found places that were hiring at 14. And I think she came up with like two or three different options mm-hmm. around here that, that hired and found one that she thought would be a good fit. We looked into it and it was a good fit. And Catherine was more one that, like we were talking about, needed the little gentle nudges. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of prayer for me. I'm one that it's like, I just want you to make a decision and make it happen. I have much more of Caitlin's personality. She's like, get her done. I turned 14 and I'm filling out all the applications today. Catherine likes to look at all her options and take her time. There's no problem with that. And... That's much more like you, Jesse. <laughs> and so that's been really good for me to learn to let God kind of work there. And it's really cool to see how 
with both of her jobs, she was working as um, an intern for a political consulting firm. It was a paid internship and how that came about. And that was, I'm just grateful that I kind of stepped back and let her. Because mm-hmm, I never, if you would have stepped in and, and said, hey, you need to pick something now and that never would have happened. Yeah. And then with the job she has now, um, she just got a big promotion um, to be team lead. She's in food service and um, just seeing how that all came together too. And just watching her step up and really mm-hmm. take leadership and, and having to make tough decisions and, yeah. ha- and having to wait at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I think encouraging them as soon as they're able to, you know, the gentle nudging, um, but not nagging, not <laughs> nagging, just gentle nudging um, with, you know, with her, I would be like the job she actually ended up with. Now I saw a sign for it and I just, yep. and I came home and said, Hey, by the way, have you, did you see that this place was hiring? And so, but then I, I've learned to just give the suggestion and then let it's it be. so hard for you to do this. It's anyway. so hard. But I've had a lot of practice with you. I've had a lot of practice. This yes, has been have. very helpful. And and so I think for, for us, we would like our children to be earning money. Now, I think by the time they're 15 or so, to be earning money so that they're able to pay for things and able to learn to manage money. Um, you know, obviously every child is different, but I think for us, that's about, you know, with Catherine, we just really were like, okay, you're 15. And, you know, this summer we'd like for you to get a job. And, um, but then kind of letting them be the ones to fill out the applications and mm-hmm. go in and have the interviews and set up the interviews and, and really let them have to, spearhead that because I think mm-hmm. as parents, it would be easy for us to kind of sit with them and, you know, kind of coddle them through that. And, and I think it's a great thing for them to do it on their own because then it's like, they got that job. Right. Like it was all them. And there's just a lot of fulfillment that comes from that. And they learn a lot from it. You know, she had multiple interviews and I think that that was just a great experience in itself to go in and have interviews. And one thing that we encouraged was don't just fill out an application online, go in and ask to speak to the manager and how that just is a way to kind of set yourself apart a little bit. And, you know, that face-to-face relationship can go a long way. Plus, it's just such a good opportunity for your child to have to go in and ask to speak to the manager and kind of learn how to have those interactions. And they're also managing their own schedule and they don't clear things necessarily with us, but we stay up on top of things, but they are in in control of, of keeping track when they need to go in, making sure they let us know when they need to go in. Um, Catherine driving herself has been a lifesaver. Um, so just a lot of little personal responsibilities that they have. Mm-hmm. Like it's their job. And if they don't show up on time, if they don't do what they're mm-hmm. supposed to do, like that's on them. And so if they get fired because they were late, then they'll learn from it. <laughs> Just like we were talking about earlier. 
And th- this is a, something that they want as well. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that we're, you know, pushing on them. No, no, this, this is your thing. You know, they want to take that responsibility. Today's episode is sponsored by CodeSpark Academy. CodeSpark is the number one learn to code app. It teaches kids the ABCs of coding and basic computer programming skills, all without having to even know how to read. I have looked at this app and it is so cool. And I really wish that Silas was a little bit younger or our younger kids were a little bit older so they could take advantage of it because it is a very highly rated educational app and it has hundreds of activities and games. And it's teaching kids the fundamentals of computer science and introducing them to the world of STEM. And they get to learn how to code. And it teaches the basic problem solving, logical thinking skills. It encourages creativity. It instills persistence and resilience. And it really boosts their confidence. And I think the skills that it's teaching are things that kids are likely going to need in this new world of technology. And plus, the games are so fun to play, they don't even know that they're learning this stuff. So if you want to try out CodeSpark, here's the cool thing. They are offering a completely free month to all of my listeners. You're going to get unlimited coding challenges, new skills every week, hundreds of educational puzzles, unlimited access to their entire creativity suite. CodeSpark Academy is designed for kids ages five to nine years of age. It's great for boys and girls, and they really design the app to increase engagement and to get girls who sometimes aren't as interested in coding really interested in it as well. To get your free 30-day trial, all you need to do is go to CodeSpark.com and use my coupon code MSM30 at checkout. That's going to give you a completely free 30-day trial. So go to CodeSpark.com, use coupon code MSM30, and enjoy your free 30-day trial. Thank you so much to CodeSpark Academy for sponsoring this episode. There were a lot of questions about social media, technology, cell phones. We have done two episodes specifically on those topics. And so I'll just refer you to those. We will link to those in the show notes. One, Catherine came on and she kind of talked about, it was just about relationships with your parents in general, but we touched on cell phones and building trust and technology and all of that. And I think it was it was really helpful what she shared from the perspective of a teenager mm-hmm. who's seen a lot of situations where her friends don't have trust with their parents and kind of what has been the catalyst for that. Um, And then we did a podcast episode that was specifically on our quote rules for teens and phones. So if you're interested in that, check the show notes for all the details on that. We also got a lot of questions about how to talk to your kids about the birds and the bees. And I'm just going to say, if you have a teenager and you're asking about how to talk about the birds and the bees. A little late. Yes. Like we firmly believe you start talking about sex, about, you know, just the God's design for intimacy early, early on. You don't have to give a lot of details when kids are little, but I think, you know, they're going to start wondering things. And so you just start in little ways opening up the door and, you know, just 
talking, if they're asking a question that opens up the door to have a little conversation in a way that's very age appropriate, start there. And we're not a big fan of having the thing where like you wait till they're 11 years old and then you go off and have a weekend where you kind of tell them everything. It's a little overwhelming. I think that that can be a little overwhelming. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that for us, we found that kind of little bite-sized pieces and allowing them to sort of guide the conversations. Mm -hmm. And as they ask questions, as things come up, you just address it. The key is, is because you want to control the narrative and don't let society, schools, friends do the education for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the statistic, I don't have the exact number, but I think it's that 80 or 90% of boys by the time they're nine years old or something Mm -hmm. have been exposed to porn. And so I think, you know, if you're waiting till your son is 10 or 11 to even broach the topic, Mm -hmm. that's late. And so starting from a young age to just have those conversations and I think also to normalize that we talk about these things. And so it's not this awkward taboo, like we go and have this, you know, special secret experience or whatever you want to call it, where we talk about everything and then we come back and we never talk about it again. Like, I think just making it where they feel very free and open to just talk about things. And it's not this awkward, uncomfortable, taboo subject that just seemed to work well mm-hmm. for us. And then as they get older, they have a lot more questions and I feel like they're just more open to talk about it. Now, one of the things we do is we say, we only talk about this at our house. Like you don't talk about this with other people. And, you know, speaking of the porn thing, one of the things that we have talked about with our kids is being honest about what it is in, you know, You don't need to give graphic details, but I think kids need to understand that there is this out there. Mm -hmm. So many young kids have phones now. This goes hand in hand with the technology discussion. And to recognize that you could put all of the protections on your child's device, Mm -hmm. but you can't protect anything else that they're going to see on someone else's device. And so the best thing that you can do is prepare your child for when they see boys giggling over in the corner and acting like something is, you know, like they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. And then they call your child over to look at whatever's on the phone. One of the things that I've told Silas is if someone ever calls you over to look at something on their phone, you say, can you show a teacher first or can you show an adult first? And always say, you know, asking them to show the adult first. And if the child's like, no, then, then you know, probably you shouldn't be looking at it. And so just kind of to put that protection in place. And so prepping them for the possibility that it is going to happen Mm -hmm. and giving them the tools of how to respond if it's an uncomfortable, awkward situation, um, as best as we can. And you're not going to do it perfectly and you're not going to always be able to protect your child, but just to recognize that it's a very real thing. And the best thing that we can do 
is to prepare our kids, I believe, instead of just to try to completely bubble wrap them. The more you try to bubble wrap or keep them from things without working on the heart, the more they're going to want to do that which you're trying to protect them from. And this goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about, how to deal with teens who don't want to share with their dad. And I think it could be also with their mom, but this specifically was about their dad. Jesse, what, any thoughts on that? I think it comes down and starting really early on with the relationship of the father to whichever child it is, whether it's a son or daughter, you know, and building that from a very, that trust from a very early age. You know, if, if they're having issues communicating as a teenager with their dad, well, there's obviously a reason that needs to be looked at. Is there fear? Is there distrust? Is there intimidation that is at the root of all that? Um, if that's the case, that needs to be addressed really soon and really quickly. And that relationship needs to be repaired. I talk about this in Love Center Parenting, but one of the best things that we did years ago was asking our kids just flat out, what do we do that makes you feel loved? And what do we do that makes you feel unloved? And basically opening up the floor for them to feel very comfortable to share honestly mm-hmm. with us and then to listen and to receive what they say. I think a lot of kids are scared to share with their parents because they're afraid of how their parents are going to react. Mm-hmm. And it, without even realizing it, as parents, we can set up kind of this impossible standard for our child. And we can spend a lot of time correcting and not very much time connecting. Mm-hmm. And so our kids can get into this headspace of believing that they're never good enough. No matter what they do, it's never going to be enough for their parents. It's never going to please them enough. And their parents are just going to criticize them. And when that's what you've set up in your relationship, you've basically created a wall. If you think about someone, an adult in your life who anytime you shared with them or even didn't share with them, anytime you were just with them, they were pointing out what you had done wrong and how you could improve. You wouldn't want to spend time with that person. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want to share with that person because you would feel like no matter what you shared, they were going to tell you what was wrong and how you could do better and criticize you. And as parents, for us to just pay attention to how much time are we correcting and how much time are we connecting. And I just really encourage you, if you feel like there's that wall between you and your child, step into their world. Keep your mouth shut. Um, This is hard for me to do, but keep your mouth shut. Recognize that you are not your child's savior and Holy Spirit. And you need to repair the relationship by building relationship. And relationship comes from spending time together, Mm -hmm. from caring about what they care about, from showing them that what's important to them is important to you from really stepping into their world instead of asking them to come to your world, expecting them to come to your world. So, you know, often times I'll talk to moms and they'll be like, well, there's nothing that my son and I have in common. Like he likes all these things that I could care less about. He likes sports and video games. And and 
I'm like, he's your son. So care about those things, even if you don't care about them, because you care about your son. And so step into their world. What is the thing that they get so passionate about, that they're so excited about, that they're so interested in? Where do they like to go to shop? Where they where do they like to go out to eat? What do they like to do? Go do that with them. Even if you're like, it's the last thing that I want to be spending my time doing. If you want to have a relationship with your child, spend time doing the things that they love. And that's how you communicate to them. I care about you. And so often it's in those moments when you're just enjoying what they enjoy. Like so often our kids, they love to DJ in the car. So if we're, if we're <laughs> driving, they like to have their music on really loud. And let's just say their style of music is very different than my style of music. But it's a way that I can connect with them. And I'll ask them, why do you like this song? Tell me more about the song. And just let them like, just kind of immerse myself into their world. And it's amazing because so often when that happens, then, you know, when we'll get home, they'll be like, hey, mom, I was going to tell you, da, 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 da. Or they'll even turn the music down and they'll be like, oh, hey, mom, I forgot to tell you what happened last week. And, and some like major thing that they hadn't told me about will just kind of spill out. And I really feel like it started with, I was just in their world with them. And so don't step into their world then expecting that like, okay, I spent 20 minutes with them in their world. Now I can ask them the really hard questions. Just be in their world and just let them see that you care about them. And the more that you do that, the more that it will gradually I believe in most cases, crack the door open for them to just feel comfortable sharing a little bit with you. And then when they do share with you, don't freak out, jump all over them, criticize them. Just listen and ask curious questions and keep listening and keep caring and keep just communicating to them. I love you and build that trust so that Eventually, hopefully, you can speak the truth into their life. And you can, you know, as parents, I believe we are called to correct our children. But we build the relationship to have the ability to do that and for them to listen to us by first having a strong foundation of connection. One thing I thought about was one of our kids was pretty young. We were having some issues with them. and. I remember for my birthday, they wrote um, a book for me, a little booklet, almost like a birthday card of sorts. And it was like seven things that I appreciated about my daddy. And one of them, one of the things that she listed was, you always tell me you're sorry when you've done wrong. Mm. And that struck home to me and I've never forgot it. And always think about it when I mess up because when I think, oh, she's expecting me to say, I'm sorry, but also lead with humility and I'm speaking to myself and say, you're sorry because I do do wrong and make mistakes. And for her and for them to see that and that I own them and want to reconcile with them speaks volumes. I think for them to see us humbly coming back when we've made mistakes, because we will make mistakes. 
We will yell at our kids. We will freak out. We will respond in an incorrect way. We'll get irritated with them. We'll get frustrated with them. Going back to them. Like when we feel that we missed the mark, when we feel that we didn't handle something well, when we we could have done better, just to go back to them and to just honestly say, you know, an hour ago when we were talking, how I responded, I was just really convicted that I didn't respond, you know, just completely in peace and quietness and whatever it is, you know, to you, I I was frustrated and that came out. And honestly, it was because of my own fear or whatever, you know, but being, being truthful with them about our struggles and asking for their forgiveness and not putting anything on them, not saying, you know, I did this, but you did that to just, you know, say, will you forgive me? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I think that speaks volumes to them. And that is something that they will remember for the rest of their life. In Love Center Parenting, I tell a story of my dad. And when I was 17 years old, first time driving our big family van with my mom, instead of putting the car in reverse, I put it in drive. And instead of then realizing that and pushing on the brake. Where were you at at the time when you did this? In front of our house, okay, that's right. in front of our garage, instead of pushing on the brake, I pushed on the accelerator and <laughs> rammed the car into the front of the house. It was only a few feet, freaked my mom <laughs> out like nobody's business. <clears throat> Needless to say, I did not drive her for a very long time, but it kind of tore some of the brick off the front of the house. And tore? Not tore, okay. Knocked? It, Knocked, sorry, it knocked some of the brick. We were fine, but the house had a little bit of damage. And I was so embarrassed. And there was so much shame that I felt. And when my dad came home, he yelled at me about it. And it was just like, I already felt incredible shame. And so for my dad to yell at me, it just kind of made it so much worse. And I was just, I was mortified. Like how, and just beating myself up. And the next day though, I don't even remember what my dad said to me that night. But the next day, my dad came back and he asked forgiveness for how he responded. And and that's what I remember the most about that whole story is my dad coming back, owning his mistake and asking forgiveness. And every time our family has this like little planter at the front of their <laughs> garage and some little wooden pieces that my dad kind of fixed it up so you can't tell. But every time I see that, I don't think of the shame that I felt. I think of my dad coming back and asking forgiveness. And so I just want to encourage you parents that it's powerful. It's profound. It's humbling, but it's such a gift that we can give our kids for the rest of their life. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 